Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. Julie Henrik is the Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I'm delighted to welcome Jennifer Hillier to the podcast today. Jennifer is the author of seven psychological thrillers, including the best-selling Little Secrets, which was a finalist for the Los Angeles Times Book Prize and the Anthony Award, and Jar of Hearts, which won the ITW Thriller Award and was shortlisted for the Anthony and McCavity Awards. She was born in Toronto, but spent eight years in the Seattle area, where she first got published. Her newest novel, Things We Do in the Dark, is coming July 19, 2022 from Minotaur Books. Welcome to the podcast, Jennifer. Thank you, Julie. It's so great to be here talking to you. Well, I'm really looking forward to this conversation uh, about writing, especially given the genre you write in and, um, you know, and the amazing career you've had so far. Uh, but I'm going to start where I always start and um, ask you when you said to yourself, I want to write a novel. Oh, I think I have about 20 unfinished novels somewhere in a box in a storage area that I've forgotten about. Um, I never could get past chapter three. Chapter three was the, the spot where I would get stuck uh, I always had a great idea and I would write and write and write. And then chapter three, the story would just, and that happened like all through high school and all through my twenties. And it wasn't until my thirties when I found out that we were moving to Seattle for my husband at the time's job that I had all kinds of time. And what was interesting was I was cleaning out my office and because we were packing to go to Seattle and I came across an envelope, like a really plain white envelope with typed paper inside. And I thought, oh, what is this? And I pulled it out and I cringed because I saw that it was the first three pages of a story that I had started writing while bored at work. <laughs> I got my day job. So I was yeah. like, oh my God, like, I can't believe I did this like a couple of years back. And, and, but then I thought, well, I don't want to throw it out and it's going to get lost. So let me just retype this into my laptop now and just save mm -hmm. it. And as I was typing it in, as we do as writers, I started changing it a little, editing it a little, fleshing parts out. Next thing I knew, I had about 15 pages. And I kind of went to bed. It was really late at night. My husband was already in Seattle. And I thought, I want to kind of see if I can write this story. And I did. And I wrote it in about three months. Um, 120,000 painfully awful words. I mean, it was the worst wow book in the history of books every rookie mistake that you can make like characters having this intense scene only to discover that it's a dream you know like like just all the <laughs> bad dialogue tags you know lots of adverbs all that stuff it was terrible um but I felt good because I'm like you know what I wrote it and it has a beginning middle and an end mm -hmm. and maybe I can do this better and then all of the creative drive like went away and then it came back a year later and then I sat down and I wrote creep so I think I knew I wanted to be a novelist from the very, very beginning, um, probably since I was a kid and I read my first uh, Sweet Valley High book. <laughs> 
you know, cause it had chapters and, you know, there was like yeah. a character arc. Yeah. Um, but in terms of actually becoming serious about doing it, I was well into my thirties by then. So it was a long process of living life to get to a point where I think I felt ready to have something to say. When you, you have all of those up to, you know, inciting incident novels in a draw. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Um, <laughs> and then you get your 120,000 word teaching yourself how to write a book, which Basically, so often the yeah. first full manuscript, that's what it is. Yeah. It teaches you how to write a book. Had you taken craft classes or read books or how did, how, you know, how had you developed the ability to write those 120,000 words? Because that's not a minor accomplishment. You know, I think, I mean, I've always wanted to be a writer and in high school, I wrote a lot of short stories and one even won like a high school award, which was cool. But um, I never had the guts to do it. And I think I knew that I wanted to be a writer, as most writers know early, right, that they want to do this. And I was so afraid to do it and suck at it because while I wasn't doing it, the dream of being good at it still existed. And I wasn't prepared to face the reality that maybe I suck, maybe I have no talent whatsoever. Um, And then I think when I was in my 30s and I was writing that first terrible novel, it occurred to me that I that it was time that the. the not knowing of whether I could do this um, was worse than the feeling that I might fail. And that was sort of a tipping point where I'm like, okay, I'm ready to find out now because the not knowing is worse. And I can't keep working at these day jobs, which are, you know, kind of soul sucking and I don't like it, you know, and I do it because we got to pay the bills. Um, But while I'm in transition um, from Toronto to Seattle and I'm still finding my footing. Maybe this is a good time to write about what I see and, and what I'm feeling. And so creep was set in Seattle, even though I'd only been there for, you know, a few months. Um, but it was just, it was, it was, yeah, I guess self-taught. I I'm self-conscious. I don't have a university degree. I never finished. I'm like a year shy of getting my bachelor's. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never took any writing classes. Um, I, I was afraid to find out, like I was afraid to really pursue it. And the one book that I read was Stephen King's on writing, which I think is the Bible for a lot of us. It's kind of like a jumping off point. And so everything I knew about how to write a novel, I basically took from that book. Like Stephen King says, I write, you know, 2000 words a day. So, okay, that's my goal then, you know, and it should only take you about three-ish months to write a good draft. Okay. I'm writing it too slow. I has to be done in three months. Like I was very literal with his advice. Um, but it was also inspiring because I'd never like Stephen King was a huge, you know, go-to author for me and to get into his brain even a little bit and figure out how he does stuff was magic. You know, I'm really glad I'm grateful for that book. And I reread it once every few years or so, just to kind of see what still applies and what doesn't, but no formal training, Mm -hmm. um, no workshops that didn't happen until I was partway through creep. And I thought, okay, I I need feedback. I don't know if I'm doing this well, and I don't know what I'm doing that's bad. And that was my first foray into the writer workshop group, which is not for the faint of heart. (laughs) No, it isn't. And, and, uh, you know, I just want to back up and acknowledge something you said that I think is so valuable and so many people need to hear that writing that first draft is an act of bravery because you're risking not pulling off what your dream has been. Yeah. Yeah. It it was the scariest thing that I ever did was sending, um, work out into that workshop because there were 16 of us. It was online. It was through Gotham writers. And 
I had never had anybody read anything that I had written as an adult, you know, not since I was in English class in high school. And I remember sweating over this. It was like a, I think we had to submit a thousand words for the class to read. And I, I felt sick over it. And everyone else was like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll, I just tossed something out last night. Here you go. And I'm like this, I've been working on this for three months. Like, I'm so scared to find out what you guys think. Yeah. Um, it, but the feedback, you know, was helpful. And um, it taught me what I, you know, what my strengths were and what my weaknesses were. And I was able to work on those. And, you know, it taught me early too, to be accepting of criticism while knowing mm-hmm. what doesn't apply to you. And that's a really important thing as a writer, I think, to get good at is listen to the feedback, but also know that this may not apply to you. You know, so the guy who writes high fantasy in the workshop, who doesn't like the serial killer vibe of my book, it, well, it's, <laughs> I get it, but this book is probably not for you. You know, right. so then when right. his feedback comes in, I was more focusing on, what did he think of my world building? Because that's something he would know about as a fantasy writer. You know, like, do you, is yeah. this a realistic view of Seattle for you as the reader? Um, and then there was a screenplay writer that was in the mix. And I really listened closely to her feedback about dialogue. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what she does all the time. So, you know, it, it was helpful. I'm glad I did. It prepared me for um, the constant rejections that you get in a writer's career, which don't stop after you get published. Right. No, <laughs> no. It sounds like that was a good workshop to um, start with or ended up being a good workshop from what you took of it, because as you said, that that can also stall people's um, paths. It can. I mean, you have to, you know, it's that first rejection. I mean, I remember very clearly when I sent out my first query, I had done my research. I had been procrastinating. The book was so done. I revised it and revised it and revised. There was nothing left that I could do to make it better. And I still sat on it because I was so scared you know, to send it out. So I remember I queried, I, I even know who she is. I remember, I'll never forget. I don't want to say her name though. She's very nice, but I queried her along with, I think five or six others that day. That was the first batch that I sent out. And I went to dinner for my anniversary. It was was my anniversary. So I, me and my husband went to dinner and this is back when I had a Blackberry and I didn't think to turn it off at dinner. Like I just didn't. So midway through the meal, my husband gets up to go to the restroom and I, my phone pings and I check it, right? Like I'm sitting there by myself and it was my first rejection. And it was like two sentences. Okay. It was like, you know, dear Jennifer, thank you for your query. Uh, the book just didn't resonate enough, you know, but I wish you the best, you know, and nothing benign. I mean, as we know now as writers, that's a pretty tame form rejection. Um, but I was so my husband goes to the bathroom, he comes back and he's like, what happened? Like I've been gone for three minutes and your whole mood, like who died? And I'm like, I got my first rejection, you know, and I showed it to him and, you know, he's like, okay, well, it, this isn't, it doesn't sound bad, <laughs> but it was like the whole world just stopped. And it, yeah. it still stings when someone turns you down, like it never, that never goes away. But I think I, I bounce back faster. I think I feel the intensity of it the same, but I bounce back much, much faster than I did back then. So again, I always, I go back and forward because I want to ask you a million questions, <laughs> but let's just talk, you, you know, you mentioned Stephen King's on writing, which yeah. I, I do highly recommend to folks and I will put in the show notes so that people, um, you know, <laughs> know that yeah. uh, that's recommended, but it's such a good writing. It's such a, 
it's also kind of a memoir. It's, it's just mem- yeah, a it's book. lovely. It's a lovely book. Um, but was it always going to be crime fiction? Was he always, you know, one of the people whose career you aspired to? Um, ha- you know, did you consider other types of fiction? I, like psychological suspense is is quite the journey, and you do it so well. Oh, was thank it you. always that? It no, I thought I was going to be a horror writer. You know, I was reading so much Stephen King and Pet Cemetery. I'd reread six times. It, I think I've read a dozen times. I really thought I was going to tell scary stories, ghosts, monsters, that type of thing. And so my first novel, the really crappy novel, was about like, it was kind of a haunted house story. And the guy that lived in there was sort of this very creepy guy. And, you know, there's victims and there's, and his grandson and whatever else. And that was the story. And it never felt right when writing it, but I just wanted to finish. Um, it wasn't until Creep when I was writing about the villain in Creep, because all my books kind of start with the villain, um, or they used to, and that's changed recently. And I realized, oh, he's not a monster. He's he's a murderer. And when I figured that out, when I'm like, this guy isn't creepy, there's no supernatural stuff happening here. Um, he's actually just a serial killer. It was like, ah, there it is. And then that was the jumping off point. And then of course the villain became the villain. And then I went back and I filled in who the protagonist was, which was someone he was having an affair with. So this woman is sleeping with a serial killer and doesn't know. Right. And so that's the whole part, like the point, but it felt right. Like when I started to realize, I think I write thrillers that clicked for me because then I kind of found my voice. Um, Mm -hmm. But when I wrote the book, I didn't know what kind of thrill. And I was very confused as a new writer, you get really hung up on, what is my genre, you know, like, and and ultimately that matters because you want to pitch the book and sell it. But I've since learned, it's also very much a marketing term, right? Like to decide, you know, what category your book is, is something for Barnes and Noble to really know, or, you know, Indigo or whatever. So they know where to place your book. But um, I remember feeling like it's a thriller, but I hadn't recently read a thriller like mine with a serial killer, but it wasn't a procedural. It wasn't a police story. You know, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, so there's a serial killer in it and there's a bit of a love story in it and there's a lot of sex in it. What would this be? You know, and I thought, well, this is a story that I would want to read because when I read, you know, Jeffrey Deaver or I read um, all of the, the, you know, Thomas Harris, I always want to know like more about the relationship too. And I want to know, like, are they doing it? Are they not doing it? You know, I'm interested in that stuff. And I'm like, so this is what this book is, but I don't know what to call it. And then I just kind of happened upon the term psychological thriller, which admittedly I'd never really heard of. This is back in 2009. And I'm like, I think it's a psychological thriller. If if that's how we're defining it. Um, And then from then on, I'm like, okay, I write psychological thrillers, you know, and now it's such a big thing. You know, the genre yeah. has really grown and there's so many of us doing it. And it's awesome because now I have lots to read, you know, because back then I was like, well, how do I find that perfect balance of, you know, strong woman, flawed, you know, in danger, saves herself ideally, right? That's kind of the crux of what I, what I do. So talk to me a little bit about your process. Uh, you know, you just mentioned with your first published novel, the, the villain comes in, but do you you know, I mean, pantsing, plotting, but also just how do you, how do you start a novel? I mean, is it, you you know, just tell me how you start. It's usually a snapshot. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a snapshot of a person in a situation and I don't know who the person is or what the situation specifically is, but I know it's terrible. And then I kind of peel, I peel that away. And so, for example, in my last book, Little Secrets, um, 
the, the scene that I could see very clearly was uh, the main character, Marin, sitting across from a very good looking man at a diner at midnight. And the woman was very put together. You know, she clearly had money. She'd driven there in her, I think she drove, drove was it a Lexus or a Porsche? I forget now. But she had a nice car. She had nice jewelry. She had a nice designer bag. And she's sitting in this sort of like hole of a diner um, across from a man who is good looking, but shady, like clearly shady. And <clears throat> I didn't know why she was there. And so I was writing about it. I thought, is she hooking up with this guy? Did she meet him online? Is she having an affair? And then I realized, oh no, she's hired him to do something awful, right? He's a shady guy that provides a service and she has found him and she is negotiating a business transaction with this dude. And then I thought, why is she, why is she doing that? And then I, it kind of spiraled into, she's mad because her husband is cheating on her. Right. And so she's going to take a hit, right. <laughs> Have it on someone. And then I thought, okay, cheating. It's a book about cheating. And then I thought, but she's really mad. I mean, she's taking this to the extreme. What else is going on? And then as I peeled back the layers, I realized, oh, her son got kidnapped. Her son got kidnapped and it's a year later. And in the midst of all of her grief, um, not knowing where her son is, she discovers that her husband is cheating. And now she's channeling her rage into this much younger woman who's sleeping with her husband. And that's how we got to this point. And so that's how I write. And it's awful because I never know what's going to change. And it's so bad. Like my process is, is just so confusing and random that my editor actually um, deleted the part in my contract that says I have to propose a book. <laughs> like, you know, there, there's a, a point where you propose a book and then they pay you for that installment, right? Yeah. Where they yeah. wipe that out because the book I had pitched to him, which was the woman in the diner who um, was being cheated on, turned into a completely different story. It was the disintegration of a marriage. It was the loss of a, of a son. It was depression yeah. and it was grief and it was revenge and it was rage. And it was a whole different book. And when I submitted it, he was like, this isn't the book we talked about, right? And I went back and I read my synopsis and I'm like, no, and I'm sorry. Cause somewhere along the way, I forgot to tell him. <laughs> I, I changed gears and didn't tell him. So going forward, he was like, you know, we're not going to put that in your contract because you're not going to give me what you said you're going to give me anyway. <laughs> but let's agree that you write psychological thrillers so don't come at me with a science fiction, you know, like right. what you do. So let's establish that. But I trust you basically to go ahead and write a book that you feel you want to write. Um, but yeah, it completely was not like when I looked at the synopsis that I'd sent him a year earlier, nothing was the same. <laughs> So my process <laughs> is terrible. It changes from book to book. I would say the only thing that's improved is I've learned to trust it. So I'm mm -hmm. not writing every book in a panic because I swear the first six books wrote in like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. And then somehow at the end, due to sheer stress, I pull it together at the very, very last minute. But with this last book, Things We Do in the Dark, it was going all over the place and we were in a pandemic and I was distracted every day with the things that were happening. And I thought, well, I'm going to let it just do what it's going to do. I don't have the energy to figure it out right now. I don't. Yeah. There's lots that I want to say. And I'm going to write those scenes as they come. And that's what I did. And I, you know, got to maybe 80,000 words and thought, okay, I've got a lot here. I don't know what to do with this. And then it took a couple of months for me to kind of 
put it all together, you know, and I don't recommend that because that's awful. There's a lot of, you'll throw away, I threw away a lot of words, right. In the end, but it's my process and it, you know, it, I, I don't know at this point how to change that or how to be more efficient. It sounds like it's working for you. So you're, you write your way into the story that you're, you're meant to tell by starting where you think you're should start. Right. I mean, I yeah. find that fascinating. Oh gosh. Yeah. Well, sometimes when I tell other writers, they're like, that sounds awful, <laughs> stressful. And I'm getting high just listening to you. And I, it, and I, that's how I feel. And I'm like, this is supposed to be fun. And when I wrote creep, my very first novel, I didn't know what it was going to be, but when you're not contracted and you don't have yeah. an agent waiting or an editor asking, how's it going? You can take your time with that. And that's the feeling mm-hmm. that I love. That's what makes all the rejections, all of the bad reviews, all of the, whatever happens in your publishing career. If you love what you're doing, I think it overrides all of that, or at least provides the cushion that you need, you know, when, when you get knocked down. Right. So, um, I, I've made a decision that I'm going to enjoy writing books again, because really up until the last couple, I haven't like, I haven't enjoyed it in a while. It felt like work. Um, and that, that felt like a lie. I'm like, this isn't supposed to be like work. Uh, it is, it is work and it should feel a little bit like work, but it should also feel like a lot of fun. Yeah. It should give you joy. It should. Yeah. Yeah. How long does it take you to write, um, now that you, you're not going by Mr. King's Bible, uh, (laughs) how long does it take you to write a book? It depends. Um, the fastest I, for creep, it was a year and two months. Um, my second book was on deadline. So about a year. Um, but the third book was seven weeks, um, seven weeks. And it was pretty clean at the end of it. Like when I sent it in, there was not a whole lot of editing to do, but that's because book three was actually my crappy novel recycled into a new novel because I was stuck for an idea for book three and I had a contract, you know, And I'm like, what do I want to write about? And I'm like, well, those characters from that crappy book that I refuse to look at because I'm embarrassed are actually kind of interesting. And the monster in that book, the creepy guy, you know, became a police chief with a dark secret. He actually murders people, even though he's the head of the police. Right. And that and then he has a grandson who discovers his secret. But the grandson is a budding celebrity chef and he is about to sign a deal for a cooking show. And he doesn't want it to come out that his grandfather is a serial killer because that takes away his. So he holds on to this awful secret. And then, of course, things begin to unravel. Um, And seven weeks because I knew them already. You know, everybody in the book stayed. They just changed roles, you know. And so in the end, yeah, it was a that was a fun book to write. I I surprised myself by how that's never happened again and likely will never happen again. Um, But typically, I would say a year. And then I need like a year to kind of recover. I'm a slow writer. So, you know, I envy all those authors who can churn them out book after book, year after year. I, I can't, I, I'm burnt. Like right now I'm, I just finished the book. So I'm like burned out. You know, I don't have anything knocking on my, you know, my creative door yet. And it'll be a while. That's okay. Um, Do you, and your books are all standalones, correct? They all are. The first two were marketed as a series um, because uh, there was a kind of a sequel, but the sequel starred a whole different character and, but the same world. So they market as a series, but really they're all, they're all meant to be standalones. Do you ever think of a character or think about 
you know, does somebody show back up in your oh, imagination the, yeah, saying, oh, I've got another story to tell? <laughs> all the time. So, you know, for Little Secrets, for instance, when she finds out that her husband is cheating, the reason she learns this is because she has secretly hired a private investigator to keep looking for her kid, even though um, the police have said there's no more leads. Like, there's nothing further yeah. we can do here, right? She hires a, a PI who's a woman, who's an ex-cop, and she's the one who discovers when she follows a lead where the husband is involved, oh, this dude's cheating on his wife and I have to tell my client this. But that PI, Vanessa, um, is actually the protagonist of my fourth book. She was the police, the deputy chief of a small town with a big amusement park where awful things happen in this town. And uh, she popped up as the private investigator having retired from the, from the police force. So people are like, you know, oh, I loved Vanessa. She was interesting. Like, well, go read Wonderland because that's her book. <laughs> You don't have to read it, but if you, if you read them in order, um, the world, you'll recognize characters and coffee shops and the university and, you know, places people go and references to old cases. And it's all, so it's fun to read them in order, I think, because it's fun to write. Cause I'll just pluck, you know, I'll pluck from, I'll pluck from my, you know, from my old work all the time. So people make characters do come back. Now, do you ever imagine uh, that you, and I hope your editor doesn't listen to this, but that you would <laughs> write a different genre? I mean, I, I, I hear the contract, your contractor for psychological uh, thriller, <clears throat> do not send us a rom-com. Yes, but, exactly. Uh, is there part of you that's ever like, I think it would be really interesting to do a locked room mystery, or I think it would be really interesting, or is this your is this how your mind works in this psychological thriller way? I, you know, I, cause it is a different way of working. It really is. And I, I often fantasize that I'll write a big juicy kind of saga ish romance novel. You know, I used to yeah. read a lot of um, like Sidney Sheldon and Danielle Steele when I was a teenager. And I know that that may be, I don't know what the, what the trends are now in romance, but I've always fantasized about writing a really big juicy book about that. And I've tried um, and I get stuck because I think murder and deception and violence is my story crutch. So yeah. I think one of the reasons that Little Secrets was so hard to write is because it was my first book that had no murder in it. it was the first book with no serial killer. And I was like, okay, it's actually hard to propel the plot without a dead body showing up. Because if you get if you're writing a book about murders mm-hmm. and you get stuck another dead body, more clues. Right. And now we can keep going. And I'm like, I don't have that to lean back on. I don't know what I'm doing. This is a story about something completely different. Um, but I feel like I would love to write that romance novel, but the last romance I read, which had been a long time since I read a romance, nobody died in it. And I found that I didn't enjoy it because I kept waiting for someone to die. (laughs) Characters would argue and nobody would get hurt. And (laughs) people would keep secrets, but they were like, tame secrets, not like secrets about a really dark past, you know? And I was like, okay, then maybe this isn't for me because while I enjoy like rom-coms, I enjoy um, like reading or movies with romance in yep. it. Um, I don't think I could write this because I want to kill somebody <laughs> like, as we're going along. <laughs> I just, I lean on that and I, and I like going dark. Um, I often have to scale it back. Like when I send it in, there's often notes that come back going, Ee! do we need this scene? That's a little much. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, okay. All right. That's much. You lose your, your sensitivity to it as well, unfortunately. So I <laughs> thank God for feedback. When I 
speak with people. I, you know, I like to talk about community and how important it is to find your other writers because, you know, your family um, supports you and love you and want you to do well, but they don't understand that first rejection or, you know, the dark place that you're going to um, put your character in jeopardy or things like that. What role has community played in your writing journey? I think um, feeling like a part of the community finally, because it took a while for me to feel like I was part of the crime fiction community. And I don't exactly know why, but I was very lonely for the first mm-hmm. um, half of my career. I felt, you know, it's isolating, right? Because you're writing the book by yourself yeah. and then you're sending it to your agent or you know maybe the one person you trust to read it. Um, but it, if you don't make an effort to put yourself out there and make friends, it is very lonely. And you think that what's happening to you as a writer is you're the only one it's happening to. Like, is it, you know, is this, is this normal? Is this, should my editor be working this way? Am I wrong in expecting an answer on this other thing? Like, you know, it's, it's scary. And I navigated that for a long time alone, not realizing that I was alone, just kind of thinking that's how it was. And it changed when, um, I kind of hit rock bottom after my fourth book where I realized that it might be time for me to, um, to move on from my publisher. Um, you know, they can only stay with you for so long. And if your sales aren't doing what they want, you know, kind of the luster fades for both sides, Mm -hmm. right? They're not going to necessarily pump more money into your marketing if you haven't been performing the way that they're hoping you will. So it felt like it was time to move on. And, I went to, um, I was invited to be on uh, like a a columnist on a debut site for writers and the managing editor and I became really good friends. And when I went to BoucherCon um, and usually I I would go to BoucherCon and not really socialize because I didn't know anyone. I would just kind of attend the panels and, you know, talk to a few people and then kind of go to my room. But I went to this BoucherCon and, and saw him in person for the first time. And we just really clicked and he knew everybody. He was one of these guys who just knows everybody. And Mm -hmm. so he introduced me to a bunch of people. And then through the site that we were all columnists for, because there was a bunch of us, I built some friendships. And then I thought, oh, it's so much better. (laughs) So much better to know people that you can talk to because this business is really hard. And I now have people that I can ask questions like, okay, does it say this in your contract? Because I'm not sure if that's right. Or, you know, someone was having issues with their agent. I'm like, do you guys find that your agent does this? And we're like, no, you know, that's, that's a concern. Um, But it was nice to have that, you know, that feedback Um, and I'm grateful for it. And so now I really treasure my friendships and I always try to be welcoming of new writers because I know how scary it is when you're, when you've written a book and you don't have anyone who understands how hard that was, you know, what a feat it was to actually finish it, let alone get it published. Because if you're a non-writer, I don't know that you can grasp it as well, Um, which is how it should be. I mean, I don't know, you know, how hard it is to do, you know, to be a doctor, to be a massage therapist, you know, which my, one of my best friends is. Um, So I don't expect them to understand. Right. But it's nice to be in a place where you find your, your people who get you. Yeah. The publishing journey is, a roller coaster. Um, and it is, uh, you can't predict the twists and turns. And, uh, you know, I loved what you just said about sometimes 
mid-career, you need to stop and mm-hmm. assess and your publisher may be doing that, your agent may be doing that, but that's hard. That's also another act of, okay, <laughs> you know, a leap of faith. A of, leap of faith. Do I want to make a change here right. um, in order to move up or move out or, yeah. or do what I want to do? Um, yeah. And that's, you know, that's really challenging. You know, and I was, and there were people, I mean, everyone that I worked with at the first publisher was lovely. So it's not like it's personal. It's not as if they didn't do what they were allowed to do to the best of their ability. Um, But you know how it is. It's, it's, there's a publisher, there's an imprint and they kind of, you know, they throw their, their marketing behind one or two authors usually. And then the rest of, of the authors get sort of, you know, the status quo, Right. And I think that's just how it's always been done. And I, I don't have any solutions for how to make that better, but I've been on both sides of it now. And at the end of book four, when I was kind of at that crossroads going, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know that it's going the way that I thought. I only thought I'd ever write one book, you know, so four is pretty good. Maybe it's time for me to tap out, you know, and that's okay because this business is really hard. Um, but then I thought, you know what, let me try one more book. And then I'll make that decision, you know, and I didn't tell anyone that I was writing it. My agent thought I had kind of gone underground. Um, I didn't mention it to the current editor that I was working on something new. I just said, blocking out all the noise, what am I capable of? You know, am I able to write with that feeling that I had at the beginning with no pressure, no deadline? And I sat down and I wrote Jar of Hearts in about seven months, which was pretty good considering I had like a a one-year-old, right? So I was pretty proud of the book when I finished. And when I finished, I thought, okay. I love this book, you know, regardless of what happens after this point, I know this moment I have written the best book that I could write at this time in my life with everything Mm -hmm. I've learned with whatever skills I've managed to hone, right? This is the best. Do I want it to go back to the publisher that I've been with? Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, they're great people. I love my editor. I have a great publicist. It's they've done their best, you know, but I kind of want to see what it might do someplace else. I can't help it. I kind of am interested to know that. And so um, I went to my agent and we discussed it and she said, well, and she read the book and she said, well, if you're going to leave, this would be the time and this would be the book. So let's just take a giant swing and see what happens. And it was like my stomach, you know, I'm like, you know, the publisher that I was with offered on it um, was a good offer, but it a good offer in in comparison to what they'd offered before. but I wanted, I just, I, it was that tipping point again, where I'm like, if I don't know, I'll wonder forever what it could have been, because I'm pretty sure that the publisher that I've been working with will just do what they've always done. Um, and I want to see what else is out there. And so I got the blessing of my editor. She's wonderful going, I fully get it. You know, and I wish you luck finding your Prince Charming. And she even said, you know, and if you don't come back, you know, yeah. come back and let's That's talk. Great. And I thought that is so generous and so kind of you. And my agent being my agent was like, well, I mean, that's great that she said that and it's lovely because she didn't have to, but just know that the money will shrink. <laughs> like when you come back, whatever offer you left behind will not be there anymore. Yeah. They'll change it because they can. And I thought, fair, yeah. you know, fair. It, it'll be what it will be. And, you know, we went out with it and uh, it sold to Minotaur. And I can honestly say that the experience has been night and day. Um, they've really gotten behind all of my books Um, and I have a great relationship with my editor where he really respects my messy process and leaves me alone to be messy without trying to hone it. Cause I've heard stories about 
authors who work with editors where, you know, I want a chapter as soon as you finish it, or let's discuss where, what this book is going to be. Cause we have to decide that together. And he, you know, he backs away and says, you know, let me know if you need anything, you know, and yeah. that works for me because I'm a very, I get tunnel vision. I forget to talk to people when I'm working. So. And it sounds like that book that you went out with and that you made these changes was also as a writer, you'd upped your game or you'd, you'd, you felt like you'd moved yourself forward in your craft. I, I like, do. Am I reading? Yeah. Yes. I felt, I felt like I had elevated. Um, yeah. I was still doing what I was doing, but I was doing it with more, um, I think I was just more risky. You know, I wasn't so yeah. worried about the audience that it would find. And I wanted to tell the story exactly how I wanted to tell it. And I wanted to really work on the words because I felt like with the last three, because I was on deadline and I'm a slow writer, not a great combination. The, the book wasn't, the prose wasn't where I thought I could make it. If I had mm-hmm. more time, it was a thriller and it was, it was pacey. People die. Great. You know, there was a twist, but I thought if I could just take more time with the language, yeah. you know, I might be able to up my game here. Right. And then not shutting out the noise and kind of writing that book for myself was like, Oh yeah, this is fun. I'm kind of playing with the sentences and, and not worried about the overall, you know, I can kind of get in the weeds a little bit, which I've never had time to do. And that, and that was, it was very fulfilling. And if that book hadn't sold, I would have been disappointed, but I still would have been really glad that I wrote it. You know, there was nothing about that book that felt like a waste of time. And I would have been fine going with a small publisher, to be honest with you, as long as there was enthusiasm. You know, and yeah. I said that to my agent, I'm like, if, if, you know, if we can't get a big five, you know, to sign on, then I'm okay with a small press. You know, I just want them to love it, you know, and, yeah. and do what they can for it. And if they're trying, that goes all the way with me, you know, it's yeah. fine. Um, it's because I didn't feel valued, I think, you know, at the last mm-hmm. place and, I mean, it's like any job, right? You get to a point where, have I, have I, this is as good as it's going to get. I think I should, you know, yeah. start to feel bad about it. I think it's time for me to move on. And that's where I was. And so and I'm glad I took this wing, but it doesn't work out for everyone. I got, I absolutely think this business is just a bunch about luck and timing as it yeah. is about skill and connections and whatever else. So the, the book landed on the right editor's desk on the right day. <laughs> he was in the right mood to read it you know, liked it. And a lot of that boils down to that moment. Yes, absolutely. But I also don't discount the fact that you stepped up to the plate and you took a swing (laughs) and that's brave. You know, it's, it's, it's a moment. And I think that as writers, especially writers who've had some success, um, you know, taking that swing is, is really an act, um, that you do for yourself, but it's an act of bravery. Yeah. Uh, So huge, huge hat tip for being willing to do that. That's inspiring. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. (laughs) I hope it inspires, you know, (laughs) yeah, no. And it's, you know, how things work out. We don't know. It's, you know, never. You can't control the outcome. And so what I've learned yeah. as a writer is just leave it all on the page. You know, whatever it's yeah. meant to be, it will be. You yeah. know, I have a great agent. I trust her to, to do agent things, you know, so um, that's great. And I trust my editor to tell me when something isn't working. Um, it, it involves a lot of trust, but mainly just trust yourself and write the, you know, I'm a voracious reader like all writers are. You know what you like to read, so write that. You know, you don't worry that someone else, you like it. You like commercial fiction. You like psychological thrillers. You know what you like. So just write that. Um, 
worry about it. And we're also willing as readers to read books that don't fit in a niche. Absolutely. So, you know, when when somebody says it must be X, Y, or Z, you should understand what X, Y, or Z is. So you should understand how the genre works. But you can make it your own or, you know, flip things around once you know what you're doing. I mean, it's, it's exactly. And I think, I think when you figure out what you're doing, you know, what you can push and what you need to restrain, you know, and I think that's probably the best lesson that I've learned is I know how far I can take something before readers will go, you know, Um, but I also know that if done well, any story can be interesting if written well, really any story. And that was advice that I got from my agent when I was stuck on my ending um, a couple books ago. She was like, you know, you could write it this way or you could write it that way. Like you said, ultimately, the reader won't know the difference if you write it well. You know, yeah. who's going to know that you could have gone this way or you could have gone that way? Yeah. No one's going to know. So pick pick your path, you know, and write the shit out of it, you know, basically. Yeah. Like, just write it and and no one will know. Write it well. So I've never forgotten. I'm like, oh yeah, there aren't really mistakes. <laughs> there aren't really, this is not an exam where I, I circled the wrong choice. Like right. it's not, right. you know, this is your story. No one's going to have an opinion on it until a year later when it's published. So, you know, right. lean in. It's okay. Well, I also love talking to writers and seeing them because I, I do these, it's audio only, but I see people as we're talking and see them light up when they talk about their ideas or what things are. And, you know, the thing is five writers could sit in a room, have the same prompt, the same idea, and it's going to be five separate books. So it's, you know, you, it's just the, the imagination and how you put the story together is yours. And And it will always be be fresh. Right. And it will always be fresh because it's your story and you're writing it in your words through your lens of how you see the world. So they'll never be the same, you know, and, and, you know, as new writers, there was a lot of discussion like back, you know, 10 years ago when I was just starting out, Oh, that's been done already. You know, Oh, I was going to write this book, but then someone else is doing it. And I'm like, Oh, you know, just write it. (laughs) We've all done like Everything has been done. You know, like every trope has been explored a million different ways, you know, flawed, you know, unreliable narrator, like whatever it is that you're picking up on, it's been done a million times and it's really okay. It really is because we love it and, and you'll find your way of saying it. And because it was you, it will be unique and fresh and feel like a different book. So I don't worry about original ideas. I wish I had very original ideas, but I've learned that for me, because I'm not great with original ideas, like I'm not a writer who has a notebook full of story ideas. I get one idea a year, literally one. Um, And when I get one, I pounce. Like I'm like, you're not going anywhere because you're the only thing I've thought of this year. And I will write and write and write until a story comes out because I'm not good at the idea part. Um, But what I've learned is if you write it well, anything can be a great story. Yeah. I love hearing that about your process, that you write your way into your books. Yeah. You said you've got a book coming out in July. I so, do. you know, yeah. you, you just probably copy edits and proofs and, you know, you're in that process. So are you going to wait till you launch that and then start the next? Or how does that work for you? Or are you just going to celebrate for 2022 of, of the new one coming out and, and yeah. you know, think That's about a good, writing a new one in 2023? That's a good question. It probably will work out just the way that you said, although my brain is like, no, I'm going to get going early on the next one. 
Um, usually the book for me has to be complete. Like, so first pass done, second pass done. If I do a second pass and the book, I can't change anything. And then it's, you know, on the way to the printer. And then that's, that's when my brain starts to clear and I can yeah. start thinking about the next book. I don't have any idea. Don't tell me to do this. I don't have any ideas. <laughs> Stock answer. If someone says, what are you working on? You're always working on something. <laughs> But I'm personally, if I'm being really honest with you, I have no ideas for the next book yet. Not that I could ever say that like at a panel or anything. Um, but no, I'll probably I'll probably finish this in the next month or two and then um just start jotting down ideas. You know, I usually yeah. watch a lot of true crime in this period. Mm-hmm. So when I'm writing, I watch a lot of reality TV. So when I'm writing like the darkest stuff, I'm watching the fluffiest TV. And then when the book is finished. Um, I then go back into true crime mode and I watch whatever Netflix has got going on and I pay attention to, you know, what inspires me. And, and then usually an idea begins to form at that point, but it will probably be, I would say, knowing my process, it'll probably be September before I really start to work on it in earnest and probably January before I hit my rhythm. It just takes time. It sounds great. I, thank you so much for for being so honest and sharing such a, uh, so much about your <laughs> Always fascinating. Always worried I process. overshare, but no, I no. This is for writers to learn and to hear, and nobody does it the same way. So, so true. this is very, very really true. interesting. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, thank you, Julie. This was really fun. Thank you for the great questions. You made me think. <laughs> <laughs> well, you inspired me. So, so uh, this is great. Thank you so much. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.